Sits and sieves, you're tuned to episode 10 of Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This episode was recorded live on February 15th and made available for download February 19th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Jeff. And I'm Lennon. And what do we have this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, we'll follow up on the world's newest real world fighter jet. In CIG News, we'll bring you up to the minute coverage of everything happening around the UEE featuring our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest in universe fiction, and the third episode of the next great starship. In Nuggets for Nuggets, we'll bring you everything we know about the 300 series from Orja Jumpworks, and we'll tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Sits and sieves, we're always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, then we'd love to hear from you. Just drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember, though, that all the positions here at Priority One Productions are voluntary. This is, after all, a labor of love, but we do look fantastic on a CV or resume. And we want to reach out and say a special thanks to Simon Trollton Edwards and Justin Lowmaster for joining us as our artist and our community manager, respectively. Thanks, boys. Good to have you aboard. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the school books. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Terra Cryptor, Cryptor, this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This week, we are following up on the latest news on the real-world development of a fighter aircraft. Textron's Scorpion ISR Strike Fighter has completed additional testing and is going to start making the rounds at air shows and defense conferences around the globe. It's already been on static display in India and Singapore and will be making appearances in Chile and at the Air War Symposium in Orlando, Florida on February the 20th. The Canadian air show Daily Planet was on hand to record the first flight and report on its manufacturer. We covered the first flight on episode two, three, something like that. It was one of the early ones. One of the early ones, yeah. And they had some good footage of that, good footage of the aircraft being put together and some of the avionics that were going into the cockpit. It was kind of cool to watch that. We're going to put a link in our show notes. But one of the coolest things about the airplane that they put on display there was the cargo bay. This thing has a configurable cargo bay in the middle of it. A bit like a freelancer. And, yeah, and I'm thinking, like, mm. you know, the guys over at Roberts Space Industries ought to just take a look at this jet because what they're doing in the virtual world, these guys are doing for reals in a little plant in Wichita, Kansas. And it's sort of cool. They go through the whole telling you where the different parts of the airplane come from. Like, these engines come off just regular jets, and the landing gear is from here, and the ejector seats from a T-38 trainer aircraft, and... These are all off-the-shelf parts that they've taken and put together into a fighter plane that actually flies. So it's, it was just a cool video to kind of watch and them showing off the aircraft. And I thought everyone might like to see a real-world fighter go get put together at the same time that they're putting the game together like that. It was pretty cool to watch and highly recommend everybody take a look at that. Do you think that they'll ever run a competition like uh, the next great fighter ship? No, probably not. But uh, what was interesting is that the release date when this thing's going to go on sale is right about when Star Citizen will be released. So I'm like... <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And, and remember on the last time they said it was about 22 months from you know back of the paper napkin design to 
first flight. And I'm like, huh. So 22 months from the paper napkin design to first flight and probably about the same amount of time from when the dogfighting module is going to be released back to when they first started publicizing this. I mean, just the parallels are just kind of funny to watch. We'll see if the aircraft's manufacturer gets held up or if Star Citizen's release gets held up, but it's just sort of fun to watch a fighter aircraft in the real world, its development run parallel to the game. Can I get into the beta for this? That's what I'm hoping. Dude, they're <laughs> building the aircraft like right down the street from me. I'm going to at least try to get in there. I doubt if anybody's going to let me in because it's all hush-hush and top secret or whatever, but it's cool that this is happening just a few miles from my house. Have anything to say, Air Force guy? Uh, another thing. Okay. If I did, I'd have okay. to come to your house and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, have you read, seen, or heard anything that you might think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. And our crowdfunding update for February 15, 2014, $38,659,000, give or take. Uh, anyone want to bet that it's Tuesday that we unlock the UDS-29341, tiny blah, 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 whatever that is? Um, anybody? Anybody? Tuesday? Anyone? Are you hedging your bets? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I reckon it'll be Thursday now, just because you got it wrong last just week. Just because I switched, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be Thursday now, just to, just to change it up. There are now uh, 8,696 alpha slots left. Wait a minute. That's exactly 1,000 fewer slots than last mm. week. And, and also right around 391,000 registered users. Now, wait a minute. That's almost 6,000 more registered users. I'm starting to detect a pattern here. Huh. You know, far be it for me to cast dispersions, but the uh, subscriber growth and alpha backer totals are more regular than a prune juice marketing convention. So I'm starting to think that those might just be on a clock or a little, you know, nudge upwardy thing. A little regular there. I'm, mm. I'm kind of curious about that now. Hmm. That, is, yeah. that is quite r- nice round numbers, like you said. Mm. I am rounding here, but they're always within the 8696 is exactly 1000 mm. less. And I don't keep track of the exact math on the registered users, but it always seems to clock up 6,000 every week. Uh, We'll uh, see. We'll uh. see. Well, since we haven't broken through another stretch guard barrier, we don't have another letter from the chairman. However, on the Robert Space Industries website, they have posted a change to their broadcasting schedule. So where they used to have 10 for the chairman as part of Wingman's Hangar, and then they would release it as a separate episode, they've actually just split it out into three components. So on Mondays, we get 10 for the chairman. On Wednesdays, we get Wingman's Hangar. And on Fridays, we get the next great starship competition. So jumping into 10 for the chairman, episode seven. For those who've not seen 10 for the chairman, Chris takes questions from subscribers and provides answers and they're really good sources of information and first up the first question in chris was asked will the hornets and the smaller ships be able to go out and relay their radar and scanning information back to some sort of command and control ship and chris answers yes absolutely the whole point of having the capital ships is that the smaller ships can go out and be their eyes and ears further out into deep space let them know what they're about to come up against and relay all of that information back to the central carrier and it goes on to say that the tech that they're putting in place for the carriers is really exciting and very in-depth and he says that there could be a whole game just made about the carrier system in itself yeah i'm most excited about that really i mean yeah i Mm. want another wing commander yeah i want to like go pew pew and fly around in space but i think that the idea of having a huge team of people out there working together to coordinate both the uh, light fighter ships and a heavier ship a cruiser or destroyer that's going to be super fun and this is what I've always wanted in a real, real space sim. I like Eve. I like my jump gate. 
but you know, the two never intermix. I want to jump in my cockpit, launch from the carrier, and go shoot some bad guys and then come back and then pilot my carrier somewhere. So this is really, really is, he's taking this quite down the path where I really wanted to see a game like this go. Yeah, the player codependence is really really exciting here. I was trying to think of how many games I know that would actually do that and the only one that I can kind of come a bit close to is Artemis Bridge Simulator which I don't know if you guys have played or not but um, I mean if you're a sci-fi fan who hasn't, if you guys listening out there haven't checked it out, you really owe it to yourself to go and find it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's the only one that I can think of that really has this real player codependence so I'm really looking forward to having a persistent universe with this in. You know what we ought to do? We got to do that. Yeah, we, we got to get we got to get some guard frequency people. We got to put that together and play Artemis. That would be good practice. That would be fantastic practice, and it would be an organization event. That's a fine idea, and we that just is. came up with this while doing the show. My God, we're brilliant. We are brilliant, Jeff. We're take fantastic. it away. Oh, thank you. You are brilliant. So, the next question was: What happens when I fly to Banu World spaceports? Chris replies: Yes. Not the whole Banu part of the universe mapped out at launch, but will be there eventually. Same with Xi'an. Each alien faction should have its own unique look and personality. Now, I would expect that. Each race would be uniquely individual. I don't want to go up and see one alien with eight tendrils and then go to the next alien and see them have ten tendrils. I mean, come on. We have, we have one tendril-based species in already. That's, that's quite enough. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for a gameplay reason, you got to have the same basic services everywhere, but you'd expect the services to differ slightly. You know, like you maybe you can't buy certain things in a Banu store, but you could get it in a Xeon store, or you can only go to human space to get this kind of stuff. Or, you know, Lennon, you're kind of obsessed with the food and drink system. <laughs> maybe you can only, you know, you have to like buy twice as much Xeon food because it's not, doesn't have the same nutrition. You read my mind there because human. I was just about to say, this would be an ideal thing for the food and drink market. <laughs> <laughs> there well, we go. See, that's what I, that's what I do. I read minds. The, the closest thing I can come to in a game that I played is Mass Effect, a great space game. I think they did their alien races very well. I really love the uniqueness of each. I hope to see some of that same care given to the backstory of this game. You know, something that, that's always struck me, though, and, and it's, it's, it goes all the way back to the very first science fiction movies and television, Star Trek up through today, everybody's a biped, and they've got two arms. Now, I mean, for gameplay reasons, if we're going to fly Bennu ships and Xeon ships and Vanduul ships, that's got to be how you do it so a human can actually fit in the cockpit. But, you know, it is a video game. Just saying. It's a computer game. Go crazy, guys. Go crazy. Dinosaurs with freaking laser beams. <laughs> Dinosaurs with freaking laser beams. I, yes. They pushed it on Star Trek Online there. I guess that's true. And we also had another question in. Are the Class 4 turrets going to be manned? And this is where uh, Chris Roberts took a moment to explain no. The Class 4 are turrets, but they're remote-controlled, AI-controlled. The Class 5 turrets have the option of being remote-controlled, but can fit a human player inside it. That'll be a good uh, distinction there. The next question that came in was kind of related to a community question we asked a couple of episodes back, which was if you could be any job in the Star Citizen universe, what would you be? And the question came in from a player to Chris asking, would it be possible for me to run a cruise line to entertain people whilst traveling from planet to planet? Chris says that they're always looking for ways for people to run their own businesses, such as cargo running, ship transporting, and so on and so forth. He would love to find a way to be able to transport people in a way that makes sense 
difference in game. Public transportation is already in the game, but he would love to see a player controlled version and would love jobs like a cruise liner operative to be the sort of thing that springs up. So this actually gave me a lot of hope when he said that because he's clearly starting to look outside the traditional scope of classes and jobs even though this game isn't going to be class and skill based but you know traditionally in space games obviously you have your miners your escorts your your dps guys but it doesn't really go beyond that very much a cruise liner i don't think i know of any other game that would let you run a cruise liner unless you happen to do it off your own back and it was never actually something that was supported by the game mechanics so i really am looking forward to seeing what other things get produced from this I love this. And I love this because immediately I flashed to the fifth element, you know. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Because so uh, I'm kicking back on a cruise ship for a while and I'm listening to some NPC diva. It'd be awesome. It would be awesome. Yeah. And well, you know, and the, you get, think of the opportunities here for other types of gaming, you know, in-game poker tournaments, dog fights, you know, like little dog fights that are like little computer animated dog fights on a video game screen or something in the crew lounge or something like that. Sports competitions, shuffleboard, hell, play shuffleboard. Um, I mean, but just races, class races, races. With, yeah, with your single fighter ships and stuff. Or how about this? I mean, you could even go better with special jump points for cruise ships that only you get to see certain vistas that are only able to see from the cruise ship. Up next is, how can a casual player compete with someone who can play 10 to 20 hours per week? Chris responds, SC is not a traditional MMO. No single play path. There are lots of different things that you can do. It all depends on your definition of win. In real life, it could be lots of money, athleticism, teacher, etc. You could have fun even with two to three hours per week. And I think that's a great response. I think that we have to break the mindset that there is an end game to this. Yeah, there is no end game to this. You can play as much as you want, and you can play as little as you want. And I think the other thing that has to be broken here is the expectation in most MMOs that at some point you're going to be awesome. Not everyone's going to be awesome. Not everyone gets a medal in this game. There are going to be some people that aren't very good at the Twitch part of the game, but you can still have fun in the universe by doing things that don't require the Twitch. Everyone's going to try to be top dog and the number one ace, but you're just not going to be. And that's okay. There's other fun things to do. That's the idea of all the different jobs. And then our next question, will there be a way to park fighters in the fighter bay of an Idris? Of course, yes. Move the Hornet from your inventory of your hangar to the hangar of the Idris. And so I think there's going to be some slotting that's going to be available if you have different places to park your ship. I think that they've also said eventually you're going to be able to have hangars on more than one planet. So if you get successful and want to buy a safe place to park your ship somewhere else besides your home base, that'll be eventually allowed. So they've got a mechanic in play where you can store your different ships in different places. Yeah, and it's such a simple mechanic as well. I was trying to figure out how they would do it because, you know, traditionally I'm, I'm sort of still thinking of this as if they were physical items that you would need to fly each one into the hangar bay or that sort of thing. And then how would you keep track of all the assets and so on? But effectively your ship is just an inventory item, isn't it? And so, yeah, it should be no different than moving it between, you know, if this was a traditional fantasy MMO, taking the sword of awesome stabbing and putting it mm -hmm. into your bank slot. It should be no different than that. And yeah, I think that's a great idea. But you know what would be cool? What's that? A spaceship moving company. Ooh. That would be cool. 
Well, Chris did say in question a couple of questions back that the player-run businesses, you will be able to run other people's starships from planet to planet. So I'm sure that that could be incorporated somehow. Oh, yeah. Either you hire an NPC or a player character to move your ship for you, and then they take the public transportation system back or charter a ship and be a passenger back or introduce the super golly big gigantic ship hauler company ship and truck people's spaceships around like park a constellation and go through the jump point with six constellations in your hold and move them off to some other place i mean that's the sort of thing that becomes possible if you allow ships like the destroyer and the corvette to hold in their inventory quote unquote as you were saying lennon fighters as in their inventory and then move that bag of holding to another system and then unload that inventory into hangars in the system. I mean, it's a series of permissions, right? You have permission to take my ship and put it in your inventory. You don't have permission to fly my ship, but you could set that theoretically so that the person could fly it out of the hold of their ship down to the hangar on the planet. Or maybe they just have to land on the planet and you have to come retrieve it. There's so much stuff you can do here. And I think this is starting to give us a hint of how complex the NPC economy is going to be. Or there's mm. all these NPCs just running around in the background doing this stuff. All good stuff coming up here. Well, talking of good stuff coming up, there's also some good stuff coming down. The next person to write in asks Chris, when are the Christmas decorations going to come down? And he just laughs and says, yeah, they've been a bit slack. We're trying to bring them down since, you know, it is February and all that now. So he said that there will be a hangar update coming in the next week or so. But don't get excited. It is just house cleaning. It is to remove the Christmas decorations, tidy up a few minor patches here and there. But it's not going to be adding any new features or anything like that. And the next question is, will the game receive graphical updates over time? And I can almost say that, yes. I don't have to have Chris respond, but but yes. <laughs> he says, yes, Star Citizen is never going to stop being developed. There will always be ongoing creation of new functionality. Chris then breaks down an overview of the roadmap. We're going to get the dogfighting module and then expanded dogfighting, meaning multi-crewed ships, so that Lennon, you can jump into my Connie's turret. Or you can jump into uh, my freelancer. Yeah, but why would I do that? And then there's going to be a first-person shooter update, and then they'll bring it all together in space, and then they'll bring it planet-side. And that philosophy is not going to change even when the game is finished. They're, I think this parallel development process, they're kind of catching the groove of it and they're liking where it's going. So I can see them doing this ad infinitum. You know, all these separate studios are going to be out there. And if the game takes off, those studios will probably be happy to work for Chris Roberts again doing something else. Some stretch goal content is not going to drop immediately. It takes time to develop. So, I mean, probably on day one, we're not going to have all the stretch goals fully implemented in the game. And... I think day one itself is a difficult concept to nail down with this game. There's going to be lots of day ones. This is the kind of the funny part of this development process. The game will be probably entirely live for quite some time before they say, okay, now it's live. The line between beta and release is going to be very fuzzy, to say the least. And we've got Wingman's Hangar number 56 out there. A lot of good stuff in there. Everybody should check that out. But a couple things tweaked my attention. One of them was medical ships here at the Guard Frequency Response. We're going to be doing some search and rescue type operations. So this got my attention. Apparently, medical rescues and treatment functionality are already on the board as features they want to include in the game. So more jobs for different careers out there. Also, they haven't decided which ships are going to be capable of mounting a medical operation, but it's a fair bet that the bigger ones like the Idris and, fingers crossed, Constellation are going to be large enough to hold medical bays and other rescue-type operations. So I think that will be a fun little system to play with there. 
our ship permissions uh, discussion got a little going with the wingman's hangar. You know, what can you do on someone else's ship? And, you know, we were talking about moving ships around a little while ago. Apparently, your avatar, your, your in-game persona, can jump to your buddy's ship if your buddy has AI pilots and co-pilots. But if you actually board your character onto the guy's ship, there will be no jumping. Apparently, you're stuck for the duration. So, Lennon, if I invite you on board my ship at Earth and we take off in my ship and then I log out of the game, you're stuck. Unless I gave you permission to fly or gave one of my AI characters that are also on board permission to fly, you're just basically coasting in space for a certain period of time. Right. I imagine there's going to be some sort of get me the hell out of here button. I've been kidnapped by some troll that's trying to waste my time and stuff like that. Lured me on board of the promises of candy and champagne and then abandoned me here in the middle of space you, to be shot you, down. Tony, you don't want to leave me alone on your ship. <laughs> No, I probably don't. I'll find it defaced. Uh, I'll pack no, it full, I, that, full of furry little tribbles. <laughs> Is that what you call Dude, them? they need tribbles in this game. No. Oh, no, yeah. No, oh, don't. yeah. Have you yeah. been to a Starbase in Star Trek Online? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there'd be copyright issues anyway. They couldn't have tribbles in the but game. But they could they have, could have you know, quibbles. Yeah, they could quibbles. have yeah, quibbles. Troubles. Troubles. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And due to technical difficulties last week, we had to skip reporting on the second part of Dateline Sezen. It's mainly because Jeff's corrupted. So, this week, you, lucky luck, get a double feature from us. So, in case you haven't read it yet, in part two, we caught up with our intrepid roving reporters. When we left them last in part one, they had just been discovered by a band of pirates and were hightailing it out of there. While in the continuation into part two, they're headed straight for a jump point with more than a few unfriendlies on their tails. Part 3 continues their adventures with our journalistic duo suffering a, a, a little bit of a crash landing on a planet whilst they I were attempting... Bit. It was just a little tiny bit of a ball of fire onto this planet whilst they were attempting to avoid pirates and end up finding themselves being forcefully rescued, whether they like it or not. The real question that's brought up in this, though, is who is the governor and what exactly does she want? And I'm not going to tell you any more about that because you're going to have to go and read it. Because part one really caught our attention here at Guard Frequency as not only was it incredibly well written, but it was incredibly entertaining as well. So we highly encourage you to check out this miniseries on the RSI website. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. Yeah, I, I like it how they're continuing to reveal tiny bits of the universe through this. For example, um, in a lot of the lore posts, they've been talking about the political structure of the UEE and governors are typically the highest executive on a planet. Mm. So for a governor to be personally on the scene of a crash site, either something incredibly interesting is going on with that crash site or this is an incredibly small planet and the governor is a hands-on manager. It's fun to see them revealing bits of the lore through these stories and, and some of the mechanics that are going to be operating in the universe. And we have a new galactic guide, Davian, the next entry into this Traveler series, brings us everything we could ever want to know about the Davian system. Humans first encountered the Banu Protectorate in this system in a very foot-in-the-mouth way that only humans can pull off. An independent nav jumper saw a ship jump in and immediately went to go destroy it to protect his claim on his little area of space. Only uh, after he beat the snot out of it, the uh, transport ship turned out to be from an alien race that no one had contacted before. This transport ship was not of human origin. Since then, the system has flourished into a trading hub featuring four planets, one similar to Earth's moon, a terraformed world known as Cestulus, a toxic smog planet with no resources, and a beautiful ice giant. For more information, check out the RSI website. Links will be in our show notes. 
And in other news, which is not fiction, we have some new concept art and a PBR, the Van Duel update. Robert Space Industries continue to impress with their ship designs, and the Van Duel scythe is no exception. With a mixture of raw, exposed cabling and cold metal plating, asymmetric looks and haunting lines, the Van Duel scythe looks like a calm, silent killer that stalks you in your sleep. It does look scary. If you've not gotten a chance to check out the redesigned Van Duel scythe, then make sure that you do. There's a video and concept art gallery for your viewing pleasure. I must say, this ship looked awesome. Awesomely deadly. I mean, this looked mm-hmm. like yeah. like death stalking you. Yeah, if it just had that look that just felt really like cold and empty. And you can just imagine that when that appears in space, it's going to appear from behind an asteroid. It's going to be completely silent. No one's going to know it's there. And you're just going to be in for a whole world of trouble. You know what? There are two things that make great science fiction. They're going to sound kind of trite, but this is very true. One, uniforms. Mm-hmm. Every great science fiction show has iconic clothes. Immediately identify what science fiction genre this comes from just by looking at the clothes. The second thing, bad guys. Iconic bad guys. That ship is going to be the Star Citizen Ambassador. The Constellation, you know, let's let's face it. It's it's a takeoff on the gunship from Last Starfighter. The Freelancer, it's Serenity. Okay, there's lots of throwbacks and shout-outs to other things. That Scythe, that's Star Citizen. The unbalanced profile, the big freaking knife on the side of this thing... The hangy down cockpit on the front that looks like an insect. That's the bad guy. That is the bad guy ship. You know, if I saw this thing in my sensors, I'd shut off all auxiliary power, everything, and put it all to my engines. Just run. Run. Yeah. Uh, it's scary. And, you, and if you saw like six of them. Oh. They very much <laughs> remind me of the Reavers from Serenity, the Fire They've got movie. that vibe. Yeah. They do. It's that just that sort of creepy, slightly unnatural edge. Whether that's because it's asymmetric and we're so used to symmetry in yes. starships yeah. or not, there's, there's just something slightly unnerving about it. And yeah, I agree. If you're going to push the franchise for instantly recognizable, iconic designs, then this is certainly one of the ships that stands out. And with the Reavers, I get your vibe on that. With the Reavers, but you know that's like sort of like madness like it's on like cobbled smushed and bolted on the scythe looks like it's unbalanced on purpose oh yeah it's psychotic it's not mad yeah yeah it's just oh yeah frightening if hannibal lecter had a starship that would be the one he would have (laughs) yes yes clarice this is my starship Speaking of starships, the next great starship, episode three, landed, and this week's show saw not one, but two bits of drama involved. So firstly, there was a last-minute entry from a design studio called 3Dingo that was submitted at one minute to the deadline. So none of the judges had had a chance to review it, and the producers of the next great starship just decided to have a do-or-die competition and threw it in there at the last possible moment. And if the panel liked it, then the gun was definitely in, otherwise it was definitely out there was no two ways about it then as if that wasn't enough excitement the final vote on who was ultimately in and who was ultimately out of this round of voting came down to just a single vote from mark skelton four teams were unanimously voted in three teams were unanimously voted out the three teams that were out were archon Presumium Productions and Dragons of Nirvana. The four that are in are Sakura Sun Microsystems, One Bit Amoeba, Shard Collective, and Four Horsemen. Four Horsemen and Infinite Shoe Monkeys, IXM, were the two that were going head to head, and ultimately, Mark Skelton's deciding vote cast in favor of the Four Horsemen design, and that went through, which was actually against what Chris Roberts wanted. So, 
it's kind of good to see that even though he does get to go first, he doesn't always get the deciding vote. Tony, what are your favorites out of the lineup? The Sakura Sun Microsystems one was outstanding. It was hot. Yeah, I you know that's the again that's the second one where I'm really excited to see the rest of the ship. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one being the entry last week. Try try. I wanted to see the rest of their ship. I really want to see the rest of the ship from Sakura Sun. So to me, those two teams are the ones to beat going in. I pretty much agree with Tony. Our tastes are very similar, and we expect the same functionality and visual effects. Having said that, though, the three the three dingo, the Italians, they uh, they brought their you know Mediterranean flair to this thing, and their gun was quite good. Remember the finger bone one from last week? Yes. It's like this is the gun that they should have made. Yes. Um, if they wanted to make that sort of alien, bony, organic kind of look, they should have taken the three dingo route. Yeah, absolutely. I thought the three dingo one, it was a fantastic presentation. It was a really well-designed weapon. In-game, it did have that little lackluster aspect that yeah. they were talking about. But overall, I felt it was completely worthy and it was a good decision that they it actually to make decided. The cut. Exactly, yeah, it yeah. really did. With the rest of the guns that they had there and the rest of the designs that they had there, I pretty much agreed with the three that definitely went out and the ones that stayed in. So I think this was a good one. Last week, nothing really caught my attention. This week, it all seemed pretty decent. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the wildcard vote. Yes, the wildcard vote. Sits and Sivs, Cloud Imperium Games wants our help in choosing the next great starship, and they've opened up the vote to the star citizen community. Unfortunately, by the time you're listening to this episode, the voting will have been closed for at least 48 hours. So we hope that you've seized your chance to make a difference in the best damn space sim ever and voted in the poll. Absolutely. In fact, I'm going to go do it now. Wait till we're done recording the show. Come on. Come on. Fine, fine. Come on. Fine. It's 3 o'clock in the morning where you are. Well, if I can't go and vote, I guess what I'm going to have to do is ask the question, where the f*** is the dogfighting module? This is a little segment in the news that we like to do to let you guys know what we've been doing to stop ourselves from going completely bonkers whilst waiting for some news on the dogfighting module. So, Jeff, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've been a little bonkers. I shamelessly fired up an old game called Lineage 2. and What? Yeah, I know. I should be shot. Is it bad that I don't know what Lineage 2 is? No, it's not bad at all. No, it's good. It's It's good good that you don't know what Lineage 2 is because it proves you have a life. Yeah. (laughs) Was I busy raising a child or something when this came out? When this came out, WoW was in beta. Oh my, that is a while ago. Yeah. Were you able to make it run? Yeah, it runs fine. NCSoft continues to keep it updated and viable. It's a free-to-play game now. I wanted to check out the new stuff that was in it and probably stick with Aeon, but I just wanted to see what it was like. Well, I took Lennon's advice and hit the Humble Bundle and uh, did the Sid Meier's thing. And Pacific Skies is kind of a fun little game. It feels kind of board game-ish, you know, like a... Yeah. Like a, a yeah it, but it, that's a good, fun little distraction to, to do. Well, with the latest news from CIG done, let's get back to basics with Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets! Hello, citizens and civilians, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets. This is our section of the show where we like to delve into the mechanics of Star Citizen and give you the gory details from the inside out. Fair warning in advance, though, the game is still in active development, so all the information given is subject to change. Last week's show, we invited you to vote on our poll for which ship we should talk about next. And the winner is... The 300 series from Origin Jumpworks. Woohoo! Sleek, sexy, and with curves that are not only dangerous, but downright deadly. 
The 300 series is a luxury spacecraft that's built for getting you wherever you need to go as quickly and as stylishly as possible. If BMW made spacecraft, they'd make the 300 series. Small but powerful, at 24 meters end-to-end and 16 meters tall, weighing in at 20,000 kilograms. She is one of the lightest and smallest craft your money can get you. What she might lack in size and weight, she makes up for in raw, unadulterated speed. With a cargo capacity of 8 tons, a max crew of 1. You won't be using the 300 series as a foundation for a long-haul transport business, but there's enough room to store all the essentials you need for a quick hop across space. And with 6 upgrade slots, you won't find yourself lacking for ways to modify your 300 series. The 300 series comes standardly equipped with an Acom Starheart 3 power plant, one TR4 primary thruster, a massive 12 TR1 moving thrusters, and a Gorgon Defender all-stop shield with a max rating of 3. That's banana in the metric system. You're going to be the most graceful and slick pilot in the skies, able to maneuver your craft with the precision of a skilled surgeon. So, the 300 series is not only visually incredibly striking and unique, with a silhouette that can be recognized anywhere, the 300 series can also cause a decent sting if you need to, with one class 1 hardpoint, one class 2 hardpoint, and two class 3 hardpoints, or if you would like that in English, one fixed gun, one articulated gun, and two wing boxes. Like we said, a decent sting, but nothing too fatal. But then, who needs to do insane DPS when you have insane MPH? Like Smooth Jazz, the 300 series, like the Aurora series, has several variants so that you can pick your ideal speed demon from their lineup. Each variant has slightly different take on the base model, the 300i. So the 315P comes equipped with an additional tractor beam on the Class 2 hardpoint and a cool yellow color scheme. The 325 comes with a Klaus and Werner mass driver cannon and Talon Stalker IR twin image recognition missiles, and a white and red color scheme. And the 350R, the ultimate speed demon that has a re-engineered fuselage specifically designed to house twin TR3 engines. With a 350R, you can crank this baby all the way to 11. Now, there is some inconsistency between the brochure for the ship and the ship's specs chart on the website, but like we warn you every time, this is a work in progress. So, uh, who's got a 315? Who's got a 300? I got a 325. I, yeah, yeah, 325. Yeah, you? Uh, no, it's, it's on my shopping list. Since we did the last Nuggets for Nuggets ship discussion, I've got a constellation. Um, no. So, <laughs> it's, it's definitely uh, on yeah. the list. The idea of this super fast ship, I really can't wait to fly this thing. I'm, I'm itching to fly this. I mean, even if I just don't put any weapons on it or anything, I want to take this out. My son is going to play wingman for me, and for Christmas, I got him at 325. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, so Merry Christmas little boy uh, so he's gonna he's gonna fly a wing for me and i said well what do you want to fly and he goes i want to blow things up but i also want to go fast and i'm like well i think i have the ship for you now let's get into our feedback okay buddy what's on your mind we're all friendlies so let's just be friendly Alrighty, and welcome to the feedback loop. Last week, we asked the following community questions. We wanted to know, what do you think the new crowdfunding stretch goal direction is? Was it snazzy new threads to wear in the deep black when no one can hear you sachet? Sub-factions like criminal organizations and ballet companies? And the next community question was, what do you think about the schedule and the whiteboard? Did you guys see anything we missed? Can you find any scoops or insider information? Well, first of all, we hear from Sean Newboy, who says... Awesome episode, everybody. Community question one, no idea. Well, thanks. Okay, Community question right. two, 
I just want to know what is up with the planetside development. Will we ever have options for having hangars on actual land, houses, organizational bases slash spaceships? Imagine the USS Guard frequency. And finally, Ooh. thanks to Chris Figueroa for his interview. Hmm, I'm imagining it now. The USS card frequency. I like it. But I don't know. I mean, outdoor hangers, that would be kind of cool. I understand from a gameplay perspective right now and from just an art asset creation thing, that's not going to happen soon. But, you know, imagine you know if you're landing on a frontier planet, are, are they going to have, like, all nice built hangers for you? Probably not. Might have to park it outside. Well, given the inventory sort of mechanic that we're going to see for the Idris, there's no reason why they can't take that and put that onto other assets. Yeah. Or, you know, they're going to have destroyers and cruisers out there, too. So, I mean, I think it's just, you know, sure. If your squadron's big enough and they can keep it manned 24-7 to prevent people from stealing it out from under you, then... Yeah, USS Scar Frequency, sure. Get out there, Chivalry Bean. Recruit. Oh, speaking of Chivalry Bean, he writes into us, Wingman suggested on a Wingman's Hangar episode somewhere near 20, I've been catching up, that there would likely be newer models of ships like the Aurora brochure suggested, which was noted in the show. Yeah, this is the question we were talking about. What's more likely, brand new ships or yearly upgrades? And I thank you, Chivalry Bean, for digging deep into the Wingman's Hangar back catalog. It makes a lot of sense for them to do it. The 2945 model Constellation now with new cup holder. I think that that's probably a good path for them. So, via the Robert Space Industries forums, nobody. But that's okay. We won't send the boys around yet because... Because we've decided that as Chivalry Bean writes into us so frequently through so many different methods of contact that we'd reverse the tables a little bit and get him to write to you lot instead. So we went and hired him as our social media manager. And via Twitter, he asks the Guard Frequency community, when you get into the live persistent Star Citizen universe, what ships will you fly first and what will you do? Explorer? Pirate? Run cargo? Well, Midnight Shadow 7 replies, none. My laptop is not good enough to run it. I just get a black screen due to poor graphics card. Oh, well, just upgrade before the, you know, the game gets released. You know, you got till April, and that's the dogfighting module, but there'll be you know, plenty of time after that. I think so. you'd be hard-pushed to run this game on a laptop full stop, really, unless you're going to sink some serious Benjamins into it. Well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, there's lots of time. You got lots of warning. Don't worry, Midnight Shadow. You got lots of time to save up. Ken from Chicago writes in, I want land vehicles, multiple cities on a planet, and a cash shop. And by cash shop, I mean being able to buy costumes, like we talked about earlier, ship decorations, conveniences, but not pay to win. I agree that's probably the good way to do it. I don't think there's going to be a way, like we discussed earlier, to win the game. So it would be tough to pay to win. But I think that Chris Roberts has the target market in mind. People with some money, but maybe not as much time, that might be willing to pay to speed up some processes. I still think that people have the wrong idea about this game or thinking it's going to be like every other game out there where leveling up is the primary function and having the epic gear is going to be what makes the game. Having said that, though, in an instance like this, when you're talking about buying items through a ship store, there is... Even though it's a levelless game, there is still a certain possibility of a creep of pay-to-win. For example, if everybody has weapons that can, say, only reach a 10-kilometer range, but they put one in the store that can reach a 15-kilometer range, that's possibly not so much of an advantage, but if that 15-kilometer range then happens to be heat-seeking, EM-seeking, radar-seeking, I think you'd have a fair case then to argue that it could be conceived as pay-to-win. Well, yeah. I, I disagree because even if oh, you I were don't to think put, it'll happen. 
I just think that if they put in something that's got what seems to be better stats, I bet you that if I got inside seven kilometers and were hitting you with my little pew-pews, that I might do some serious damage while you're still trying to figure out why the heck you're not hitting me. Yeah, because- I, the, the player skill is going to be a deciding factor in a lot of this stuff, but the power creep issue is a good one, and I think that unlike and the range reference is a good one but in some games that range mechanic is sort of casting range right like your magician can only spawn things in a certain bubble or only zap things out to a certain range and all magicians and all magic is the same way because it's treated as magic in this game i would imagine that missiles will have varying ranges depending on the fuel type that they use or the weight of the warhead The physics engine powering this stuff is complicated enough to say, we're not going to have a static range for all missiles. We're going to have a fuel capacity for missile sizes, and that fuel capacity will let it reach out this far. That fuel capacity will drop if you have a larger warhead because you're sucking up part of the fuel tank. So I think that there's enough moving parts to not only you know missile weapons but also mass driver guns versus a laser gun. I think there's going to be a lot more under-the-hood calculations going on to affect damage, range, firing cycle, cooling rates, cooldown times. I think there's going to be a lot more physics going on than just your typical MMO. Here's the range. Here's the damage. Roll the dice. Well, luckily, there are some people out there that agree with us. The UEE Tribune replies to Ken from Chicago and Guard Frequency says, The devs at CIG have said that they are aware of the pitfalls of pay-to-win and are avoiding that. So the last eight minutes of conversation, <coughs> completely entirely muted. Jeff, take it away. <laughs> oh, great. So Hippie John writes... Need to buy a new computer, but I have every intention of being a law-abiding transport captain. I never smuggle things. Oh, good, Hippie John. We need more (laughs) law-abiding people like you out there. Yeah, I'm just a little bit curious because law-abiding and smuggle appear to be in some sort of, I believe they're called quotations. Air uh, quotes, which are good radio. Well, Ranger XML writes, I'm going to get in my Connie, or if I have it, a Carrick, and head into the black and never look back. That sounds like a fantastic plan. That's pretty much what I intend on doing myself. So, yeah, And it mostly rhymes. It does. And so how was it for you? Should we try doing this show after 25 shots of espresso? Eh, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. You can leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. And now you can subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just search for us on iTunes. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at guardfreak. Or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And, you know, if you're old and decrepit like the hosts of Guard Frequency, you can send us an email. Squawk, S-Q-U-A-W-K, at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And a special thanks to all of our new Twitter followers, at WarpedGams, at PangalacticSC, at Oxylumisar, at Seasonstar and at Craxus. Thanks for following us, you guys, and thanks to everybody out there who likes us, shares us, retweets everything, reposts everything on all of our social networks. It's fantastic that you're getting the word out there, so thank you. And that brings us to the end of Episode 10 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with Episode 11 on February 25th. Be sure to keep an eye out for our episodes over at GuardFrequency.com or our show post over at the Robert Space Industries Fan Sites Forum. Please send us your feedback about the show. 
Hit our website, guardfrequency.com, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash guardfreak, our Twitter, at guardfreak, our email, squawk at guardfrequency.com, or by popping the contact form at the top of our website, or our show's forum thread over at robberspaceindustries.com, and all the details for all of our contact methods will be in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the world a better place? Would you like to be my co-pilot? If so, send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you're looking for a friendly wingman or two, or if you want to be Jeff's co-pilot, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com slash orgs slash guardfreak. We want to thank the entire team over at Guard Frequency and Priority One Productions. Special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. And we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Two three three zero. Carol one five. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the guard. Oxalumasa? Oxalumasa? <laughs> that Texas town. That shack outside. Yeah. yeah. Grain. No, I, I, I'm really, the getting back to the 325. Why do you want to do that? <laughs> why? Because I am really looking. Yeah, because he wants me to stop singing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to, I'm not, you know, my grandmother told me there was inside voice and outside voice. The inside voice you kept to yourself. <laughs> The outside voice is where you were polite and responsible. So <laughs> we know that it's supposedly going to be revealed on April the 10th at PAX East. We don't know when it's going to be released. That's so true. I think we can still say where the f- is the dogfighting module because yeah. we don't actually know when we're going to have it. I've just realized when you say it with a British accent, it sounds quite jolly and jovial. When you say it with an American accent, you just sound angry. Yeah, yeah. See, it's it's cheerful. We should <laughs> sing a little song and probably twirl mops or something. Where the f- is the dog fighting module? Where the f- is the dog fighting module? Robert Space Industry. I don't know if I can do this sexy American voice or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're cheery and happy. Go. We're the crew capacity of eight tons of max crew. <laughs>